Hey everyone, I'm happy to introduce you all to Maureen Fitzgerald, one of my nursing school teachers, and as you'll soon learn, one of my greatest role models. This episode starts abruptly because Maureen and I spent a while catching up and getting lost in our conversation before I had the chance to properly introduce her as my guest. You'll hear about her experiences in nursing through several decades, starting back in the 1960s, as well as learn about the book that she co-edited and published with her colleagues and schoolmates at the former St. Mary's Hospital School of Nursing here in Montreal, Quebec. Now, if that wasn't enough of a mark to leave in the field, Maureen is also a key player in the installation of a future monument here in the city to honor nurses of past, present, and future. So without further ado, the sweet, brilliant, and truly inspiring Maureen Fitzgerald. For those of you that are not from Montreal, um, about, I would say, oh my gosh, it would be now 2018. So we're going back four and a half years. Um, one of my nursing colleagues in my class, actually, uh, because we graduated in the old school of nursing tradition where the schools of nursing were attached to hospitals. Uh, one of my nursing colleagues uh, came up with this idea that, you know, we're all of a certain age now. And, and one of the things that the psychologist Eric Erickson talks about <clears throat> is generativity. Generativity basically is a very simple, simple definition would be wanting to leave something for the next generation. Now that could be something tangible or it could be um, it could be something a little bit more emotional, like perhaps mentoring a younger child or being a coach in a hockey team or whatever. But I think that this need came about and we, we got together because we are friends and uh, we said, wouldn't it be nice to leave as a legacy for nursing, because we're four nurses, uh, something tangible that nurses could be proud of, you know? Uh, the general public, myself included, because I'm no longer actively working, uh, can't do very much about working conditions for nurses. Basically, that's left up to the the, the unions and the, 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 the government and, and the private agencies and so on. But what we can do as a civilian, what we can do as a population, as a community, is to honor the profession, honor the nurses and honor what they do and the vital role that they played in our community, you know, from the founding of the city back to 1642 with Jean Maus up to today and, and having gone through the pandemic. So, so we, we talked about this and what could we do? And we came up with this idea of, wouldn't it be nice to have a, a monument of some kind, a sculpture of some kind in a public place in the city where uh, the population could, could see and, and feel and acknowledge and look and say, yes, yes, we do owe these women, major, majority women, a, a huge, a huge vote of thanks for caring for our community. So that's basically how it started. And we did, it, we did investigate investigations with different sculptors and, and so on and looked at cost and realized, oh boy, we really had to go out and raise a lot of money to do this. And, and the other issue was, where would we put it? And we wanted right. to put it somewhere in the city where it would be open to uh, somewhere central, where it would be open to all the population um, and be very inclusive so that the, the population could touch the sculpture and, 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 and actually be a part of it. And so we realized very quickly that putting it on a private site, a private location, a building, or even at the site of our <clears throat> association here in Quebec, 
would rob a lot of the population from that opportunity. So we approached the city of Montreal and, uh, and they were very open to the idea. Uh, the Bureau d'Art Public uh, puts out uh, very uh, wonderful sculptures every year. They, they, whatever. But they said, almost like the movie, "Show me the money." You know, if you raise the money, <laughs> if you raise the money, we have a list of of sculptors uh, that we work with. Uh, we will take over the creation of the sculpture. Uh, we will hold a a, a concours, and we will have a jury that will choose, and you will be part of the jury. And then uh, we will we will build the site, and we will uh, look after it uh, ad infinitum, and even when you're wow. dead and buried. So yeah. uh, realizing that, we said, okay, let's let's see what we can do in terms of raising money. How much do you think we'll need? And the amount kept going up every time we spoke to them. So it started with eighty thousand dollars, and we got eighty thousand dollars. And then they we went to them with our eighty thousand dollars, and they said, well, that's very good, but you know, it'd be really great if you could get a hundred. So we went hundred, <laughs> and they said, oh, that's lovely, but you know, it's going to make a very small sculpture. Uh, if you could get more, that would be great. Anyway, long story short, took us two and a half years, and we raised over two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> both, both in corporate uh, donations and uh, and from the general public and from you know some high profile people in the city, and so we handed them a check for two hundred and fifty three thousand dollars. And you know, by the time they found a site, and you know, uh, you know what the bureaucracy of the city is like. But anyway, <laughs> we now have a site. The sculpture, the, the sculpture, the artists have been chosen. Uh, the final uh, choice was done in the month of the end of the month of August, and uh, we now have a site. There was a, a public uh, a press release last week, and uh, the site is being built even as we speak. And it will be. We're delighted with the site. It's uh, right. At, it's a very historical area, right in the middle of Montreal, right by the first hospital that was built in our city, Hotel Dieu Hospital. So, it's yeah. a go. It's a go. So um, did you have a list of locations that you can choose from or was it up to you guys to like go and scout a good location and like physically like. Right, um, right, right. Well, you, you know, it's again, a, a bureaucracy rules the world, right? So mm -hmm. we had gone around the city ourselves looking at different sites, but each site that we chose, you have to go through the individual mayors of that neighborhood or that arrondissement. And they often have had things already planned for that area. And okay. so we were coming in. Yeah. So it, it was it was just a, a quagmire of, you know, bureaucracy, yeah. let's put it that way. Yeah. But eventually, uh, as we were discussing with the city and with our contact there, at one point she said, you know, we're pretty well exhausted from our official perspective here, the sites that we can offer you. The only thing that I can suggest is perhaps you go the political route. So we did. We contacted our political representative, municipal councillor from the area where we wanted this to be. We set up a Zoom meeting. This was all during the pandemic. And uh, luckily, our, uh, our representative uh, had the culture file for the city of Montreal and also was a woman. So there were two things that were very much in our favor there. And yeah. within, within 48 hours, we had the site. So, That's amazing. So there you go. Wow. Yeah. 
So how long would you say that this was all in progress? Like until now, like from, from the idea to... Well, from the initial idea to actually yeah. the launching of the actual sculpture, which will be in the, you know, this time next year, in 2023, from two, it's about five years, I would say, before this thing has come to completion. And uh, we're now at the point where we are contacting our donors and people of interest to explain the sculpture a little bit, because I don't know if I mentioned it, but the Bureau public here in Montreal deals only in contemporary art. So many oh, okay. of our donors were expecting, you know, the old nurse with the cap and the cape. And so that's <laughs> right. not what it looks like at all, at all, at all. But it does have a good connection, a wonderful connection to the profession of nursing. So uh, it, there's basically three sculptures on the site um, and they deal with three different themes. One of the themes is... Um, transition so it's sort of an arch an arch with hands there are a lot of hands on the sculpture yeah. obviously hands dealing with care and uh, the the arches are made of uh, sort of a draped material uh, which represents basically the social fabric of the city but also a nod to the old nurse's cape if you can understand yeah. and through yeah. this through this arch we look directly into the garden of Hotel Dieu Hospital, which years ago was a medicinal garden where the nurses used to take medicinal plants to treat the people that were ill. We're going no back to the 1600s, the 1700s, etc. Okay, so that's one of the first things. And it's also representative of the fact that nursing and nurses are often the primary entry into the healthcare system. So that's the first sculpture. The second sculpture deals with um, uh, transition, the past informing the future. So nurses from the past and all of the old old uh, knowledge that uh, we are hoping to pass on as a legacy to nurses of the future. Again, with the, um, the drapery symbol, but representing knowledge, representing um, uh, new learning, etc bringing also the traditions of the past into the future for nurses. And the third one focused specifically on care. And the four, what I call the four pillars of nursing, which is obviously compassion, caring, competence, and community. Those are my four pillars of nursing. And these are represented on the sculpture again. And the interesting thing is that they're going to invite 12 nurses uh, retired, young, old, male, female, uh, to uh, participate in the sculpture by giving one of their hands, which will be molded and set in bronze and put on the statue. And the four of us who initiated this project will each have a hand on the sculpture. That's so beautiful. So isn't that lovely? And the whole the three, the three sculptures are in bronze. They're all in bronze. And uh, it's uh, it's really quite something. It's it's uh, so the unveiling will be next year around this time. That's right? correct. That's correct. I can't wait for that. Oh my gosh! And that's we'll incredible. Have a press release going out, and you know we'll we'll invite whoever wants to come can come for the unveiling. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on and have you speak with um, the listeners and the audience of this podcast is because. I find what you're doing, along with with your colleagues, um, 
is so inspiring because it's like what you said, it's leaving a legacy for the new nurses coming into the field or the nurses that are currently in it. But it's like, it's um, just, it's, it's almost like leaving, yeah, it's, it's leaving a legacy. It's leaving something behind to say like, it just continues on, you know, this never ends, it continues on. on. Like, I also think that it's going to give the general population a chance to uh, perhaps stop and reflect because the setting is very beautiful and uh, there will be a small bench there that people can sit and meditate a bit if they like. Um, and it gives the population a chance to perhaps sit down for a minute and say, you know, wow, we really owe this profession a lot, you know. And yeah. so I think if we do nothing else, at least we can do that and yeah. offer a chance to, to our, our nursing colleagues um, in, in the present day and in the future, uh, a chance to feel worth, you know, which I think is very, very important. Yeah. And the other thing, the other thing we've done, of course, with the legacy is my little book here, which I'm going to plug, which is called "With Hand and Heart." And Hang on. So there we go. And now it's a little bit more in focus. Let me get my copy. I want to show them this. Yeah. All right. Put your copy. Better. There we go. There, there we go. go. <laughs> this is another. This is another form of legacy, actually, that we've done, uh, which is to invite the uh, the alumni that have graduated in the old schools of nursing, which stopped here in Quebec in 1972 when everything went into the community colleges or CGEPs, to write a little something about those days. What what happened to you during your training days? And uh, we received a wonderful response, and uh, we put it all together in a little book. And uh, so we're selling those uh, to raise money for future and further education for nursing. So that's another form of legacy that we're... Where are they available to, to purchase? Oh, right now, the books are available on, on uh, Amazon, for sure. You just have to plug in with Hand and Heart. Perfect. And get them. Uh, they're $35 each, which may seem a bit expensive but all of the money wow. towards nursing education you know They're yeah also definitely in the bookstore at um at uh, in um, Knowlton, quebec called the lac Rome bookstore they're there and i've just recently nego negotiated actually with the boutique at the museum of hotel du uh there's hotel awesome. and they are yeah. going to take some as well because we do have a connection you know it's very interesting between saint mary's and hotel du our connection there is that on our nursing pin, the face of Jean Mouse is on our pin. So there's a big connection there with St. Mary's. So we're going to be uh, putting our book in there. And the other place that's interested is the Westmount Library. So, uh, you know, slowly but surely we're, we're getting there. We've raised over $10,000 so far uh, in book sales. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's uh, it's good. It's, it's all about that's amazing. leaving something for the next generation, you know, because uh, when you're my age and, and a few of us around the same age, you realize that basically your past is your present. And, uh, you know, nothing sort of starts from nothing. There are, there's something that is triggered, initiated, built on, and, and you take that and you go forward with it. And I often think about the quote by Maya Angelou, which I love very much. Uh, you do what you can with what you know, and when you know better, you do better. And so, and so yeah. our, our legacy is, is sort of geared to that, you know? Wow. So, yes, uh, this book is absolutely incredible. Before we go into the details of the stories that you guys have shared in there, again, 
this is another reason why I wanted you on here is because not only with the monument in Montreal, not only with this book, um, but also just the chats that I've had with you, what you give you personally, but as well as your old colleagues and your old classmates, like you've stopped, you've stopped nursing, but you haven't really stopped nursing oh, no. because yeah, exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't end. It's like, it's, not for it's not a calling for everybody but it's something that you carry through your whole life i imagine i've taken care of plenty of nurses that are in in care right now and and they remember and it's like what they really light up when like when you talk to them about them like about nursing they they just light up it stays in you and what you guys are doing is so inspirational because We've been through a lot. We've been through a lot, especially in the past few years. We have, we have for sure. And um, I'll tell you, I could speak for myself. The feeling that I get from all of the work that you guys have put in to the monument, to the book, um, to mentoring, the feeling that I get is that we're not forgotten. The current nurses are not forgotten once somebody retires. We're, we're in your hearts. And and it's vice versa. And it's um, it's inspiring. It's touching. And it's also uh, a sense of of security. You know, it's like there's people out in the public that that know, that understand, that care, that have been there. They've been through this and they got through it. (laughs) They got through it. But um, I think everybody's experiences are going to be different. That's for sure. You know, Um, when I think back to my young, young years of nursing, when we, we didn't have things like, like ultrasounds and CT scans and all kinds of stuff that you have today, which is great. Um, uh, you know, we, we nursed differently, but we nursed, we nursed. And, and, uh, yeah. and uh, we had hard days and we had hard months and hard years and, uh, and not very much recompense financially for sure. Um, and working conditions were very different then, you know, you worked. Yes. I mean, I remember working one summer without one weekend off ever, you know, just that was the norm. You just took your days off when you were given them and you didn't argue and you didn't discuss and you didn't Ow. negotiate. And uh, <clears throat> and when I started nursing, there were no unions. So very often you would be working uh, an evening shift, uh, finishing at, you know, sometimes, as you know, late one in the morning. And you're expected back on duty next morning, 7.30 and, and sharp as a tack. That was the norm. And that was your posting. So, you know, there were different times, different experiences. The nurses that are working today are living uh, difficult times for sure. And I'm sure nurses in the future will live difficult times. But I think that when you are um, caring for the human condition, whatever the human condition is, um, it was never meant to be an easy task. It was mm-hmm. meant to be a task that you had to give your hand, your heart, and your your soul sometimes to, um, but also very rewarding, an extremely rewarding uh, way to to leave your own legacy in in life, you know. So yeah, definitely, definitely. So yes, had, thank uh, you. I had a mantra when I was teaching nursing. Always, I always used to tell my students, each one, teach one. If we can do that, imagine how much better our society would be. Eh? Each one, teach one. Each one, teach one. That's, yeah. You know? So if you, learn, if you learn something new in nursing, whether it's in the classroom or on the, on the clinical practice area, 
and you think it would benefit a family member or, or a child or a, an adult or a grandparent, bring it home. It's not secret, you know, bring it home. Teach, yeah. teach. And that way that person now becomes enlightened and perhaps they will teach and so on and so on. And that's the way we improve society, whether it's nursing or any other kind of learning that we do, because yeah. nursing has taught me one thing, lifelong learning lifelong learning. You never stop learning, you know, ever, ever, ever. Uh, as I mentioned before, I'm, I'm presently taking another course in university just because I like to learn. I'm doing something completely different, but it's, it's still teaching me. I'm studying poetry, believe it or not, and it's, wow. uh, it's wonderful. Yeah, it's wonderful. So my brain is working, you know, this is, this is what it's all about. Well, I thank you for using part of that brain to contribute to the industry to the field and to the current nurses and to retired nurses and the ones we have uh, behind us in the long lineage of nursing. So thank you very much. You're very but good. I'm gonna go into the book now. This book is so chock full of like incredible information, things that like current nurses would not have, have thought of. Like, like even back to how you lived in the dorm that was connected to the hospital and you were expected to not be married, not have children, like, wow, talk about like integrating personal life and, and work life. So um, can we can we go back to, to the start, basically, when you first went into nursing school? Like, how old were you? What were the credentials like? Okay, sure. Basically, at the time, you know, you have to remember, now I'm going back, my own personal story goes back to 1965, but there were many nurses that were, you know, going back farther than that. And yeah. in those days, in those days, the career paths for women were relatively restricted, okay? You could be uh, a secretary, you could be uh, a nurse, you could be a teacher, uh, you could be a homemaker, a mother, or you could be if you were Catholic, a religious sister, something like that. But but other than that, you know, it was fairly restricted. So what appealed to me the most out of all of those was was nursing. And uh, so I went into nursing and all of my all of my colleagues at the time, their criteria for entrance into the school was uh, 18 years of, of age. Sometimes they made an exception for somebody a bit older, but rarely. That was rarely, okay? Oh, okay, so maximum 18 years of age. That's right. That you couldn't go oh, in wow. under 18, you couldn't go in under 18, but you know, anybody that was 30, 35, hmm, no, prop no, probably because they'll be married and have children and no. You weren't allowed to be married. You weren't allowed to be engaged. Uh, you you had to have in those days, I think my my tuition fee for three years, and this included room and board, uh, including my laundry and everything else being done for me, uh, was $360. We lived in a residence, uh, sometimes sharing a room, sometimes not. And uh, we learned together and ate together and cried together and, and laughed together. And just, it was a, just a wonderful, wonderful time. And you spent, Three, there were 60 some colleagues in my in my year and we we graduated 68 of us graduated in 1968 and that was 55 years ago in 2023 coming up now 
and uh, and we are still we are still in contact. There's ten of us still in Montreal, and we meet three four times a year, and we have dinner together, and we we exchange you know banalities and and laugh and cry and so on. We've been through boyfriends, girlfriends, uh, marriages, divorces, babies, menopause. <laughs> you know whatever whatever you in the life cycle of anybody yeah together and uh when we do have our bigger reunions where the classmates come from all over uh it's a beautiful thing because the trust is there already we built that during those three years so there's no getting to know you again you walk into the room and it's like 50 years ago you know hi and blah, blah, anyway so it's it's really quite a special gift that we have and uh and we lived, you know, we lived some difficult times during that time too. In our learning process, uh, it wasn't always easy, uh, but we had each other to to help us, to support us, to guide us, and uh, and yeah, we had we had beautiful memories, made made beautiful memories. So those are in the book. So you went to schooling in the hospital basically it was like really hands on. It was almost like you were constantly in clinicals. You did have some classroom time. Oh yes, oh yes. The first, the, the good part of the first year was basically classroom, uh, and then we went in much like the students today for a little stage, you know, just to get acquainted with a real patient. Uh, then we were back in the classroom again, and uh, so on. And then our second year was basically focused on going out on stages, and we went out to two places from our main hospital, and every other school of nursing was basically the same. So. We went out to the Douglas Hospital for psychiatry, and that was three months of a stage. And we lived in residence at the Douglas Hospital, the same as we did at St. Mary's. And then for the pediatrics was also three months, and we went to the Montreal Children's Hospital, who also had a residence, and we lived in the residence there for three months. Oh, so, so you moved over there. That's correct. That is correct. The rest of the stages, wow. obstetrics and operating room and clinics and medicine and surgery and so on, were in our home hospitals. So when you got to the point where you were ready to graduate, you didn't have to worry about finding a job because the minute you graduated, you had a job the next morning because everybody knew you and everybody knew what you could do. And you, you kind of had your pickles. Yeah, and you knew everybody as well, and you knew this the institution. So the orientation was like half a day, you know. <laughs> the, only thing that you, the only thing that you needed to learn was that now you were responsible for something because you had a white uniform on instead of a student's uniform on. You know? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. But that and so the difference. What uh, actually? Let me clarify something for some of the listeners. Is that I don't know from Quebec a stage? We call a stage like it's a clinical. Um, like an internship yeah exactly exactly so in French over here we call it a stage um and so what was the relationship like then between um the staff the current staff and the students um was there like a like a warm welcoming or was it like a kind of a skepticism was it like you know were you like invited <laughs> I think I think that in our home hospital the staff was so used to having students that mm -hmm. there was no real cynical you know what are they doing here kind of thing we never we And never they would have gone through, through the same school Exactly exactly All right exactly. yeah And so we, they understood it was just part of the learning process did we mm -hmm. did we feel used as staff as staffing yes we did you know oftentimes we were 
just a group of students working on a ward on the evening shift with one RN responsible for two units. So yes, <laughs> of course we felt like staff, but you Cheap know, labor. <laughs> we, we did not feel that at the time because to us it was an exciting adventure, etc. The staff patient ratio was also much different in those days. If you had five patients, well, you were ready to graduate and you were, you know, were ready to go. You know, not, none of this five oh, patients wow. when you were in your second year or first year or whatever. So the staffing ratio was much different. Um, you always had your, your third year students, your senior student there as a mentor to you because they went through the same process. The only time we felt a little bit, um, I guess you would say, uh, evaluated initially was when we went out of our hospital to the other hospitals for our stashes because they didn't know us. So it okay. took a little while for us to get, um, you know, get our credibility established. But I must say that we had a very good reputation in our hospital. And so when we did go out, uh, many of the staff in the other buildings, oh, you're from St. Mary's. Oh, okay, fine. We don't have to worry. So that played right. a, a good part. That played a good part. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And what about the relationship between, because um, there's some, there's some, not red tape, but like there's some, um, I guess, hierarchy in the hospitals, oh, depending much. on which hospital. So like, how very, was it then? Very much. Well, when we were training, you know, it was a very hierarchical uh, environment and it's changed today, thank God. But I mean, in those days, if you and I were roommates in the residence and we went to work on duty on the same unit, I could never call you by your first name. And you could never call me by my first name while we were on duty, okay? You were Ms. DiPaolo and I was Ms. Fitzgerald and that's the way things function. Um, you never got on an elevator before somebody more superior than you. Uh, you had to stand up. <laughs> really? You had to stand up every time a doctor came into the nursing station. No. Uh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. But you know, everybody was doing that. So we didn't feel... We didn't feel different. We didn't feel put out uh, until we got a little wiser when we got into our early 20s and say, wait a minute here, you know. Oh. <laughs> but initially, you're so you're so sort of intimidated and focused on other other areas of learning. And when you went out on those stages, there were other students from other hospitals in the city at the same place as you. So you got to meet your colleagues in other hospitals that were going through the same thing. And we were all going through the same thing. It's the same thing when you're growing up as a child and perhaps your family's poor and you live in a neighborhood that's a little poorer. You don't feel poor because everybody around you is the same, right? So it's the same principle, the same principle. Okay. Yeah. That's incredible though. I mean, like it's, that concept seems so foreign Absolutely. now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we had to get checked every morning before we went on duty by the sister superior. Uh, she checked our shoes to make sure they were sparkling white. Uh, she checked the length because we didn't have pantsuits in those days. We wore dresses. So we had to make sure that our hems were perfectly right. We had no runs in our stockings, which were also white. Our nails didn't have nail polish. They didn't have rings. Um, oh, yeah, we were we were very, very well monitored. Absolutely. Do you find, though, this is like, it's interesting because you find that that rigidity, I want to say rigidity for lack of a better term, but that kind of rigidity and that kind of um, micromanagement 
do you find that maybe that gave a stronger or a weaker impression on the profession of nursing? Like, do you think that like if we held those standards now, would there be a different outlook or view on nursing and nurses? Well, you know, it's difficult to say. I, I think that the benefit of the kind of training we had, I wouldn't call it, um, I would call it more a, a discipline rather mm. than you know, it was it was a kind of discipline that we had to follow. And I think that what it did for nursing and certainly for my nursing is it made me more focused on order and how important it was to have things in order that my work was orderly so that I became more efficient mm -hmm. if I had my equipment lined up in order, you know. Mm -hmm. I suppose it pulls a little bit on your on your um, OCD mm -hmm. section of your set mentality that we all have a little bit, I guess. Mm -hmm. But uh, I don't think any of us felt maligned at the time because, as I said, everybody was going through the same thing. Right. Now, if you brought that into today's world, I think you'd have a major revolution, you know. Um, people just wouldn't put <laughs> up with it. They just wouldn't put yeah. up with it, and understandably so. But I think perhaps there would be a happy medium, you know, there would be a happy medium. And um, again, I go back to the fact that nursing is about nurture and about the other. Eh? Nurse, nursing is about the other. It's not about you. Okay. Yeah. So when I look at today, how some professionals go into the workplace, they go into the workplace to please them and not the other. And the mm -hmm. other, the patient who is ill, who needs some kind of stability, some kind of of, of, uh, of sort of standard, who needs to know who's a nurse and who isn't, uh, would be helped by some of the discipline that we've lived, okay? So I'm talking yeah. something simple, yeah. like, uh, you know, perhaps uh, the kind of uniform you have. It doesn't have to yeah. be a dress, but at least if nurses you know i think there some of the units are going to that now where nurses are dressing in the same colored uniforms yeah. on a particular unit which which would help the other to identify you to identify absolutely you. and that's what i meant that like it was um it almost seems like it, it based on like what i've read that you wrote and like what you're telling me and what i what i've heard from other nurses um it was very clear who was the nurse who was the aide, who was the doctor, and a lot of it had to do with uniform and appearance, which especially like in a metropolitan city like Montreal, we have so many different languages um, and language barriers sometimes in care that it's hard to like tell who's who and what your role is. And you're asking like the doctor uh, for like a breakfast tray, or you're asking like the nurse what's happening with your surgery or like, you know, what you're going to do with the surgery. It's like, it's very confusing for the patient who's already maybe on uh, medication and narcotics for pain is already in a confused state and is vulnerable. Yeah. There is, I could see, like a benefit to having that kind of structure in just uniform alone for people to be able to identify who they're speaking with and what that person's role is. Um, so come kind of a comfort in knowing, you know? You know, the reality is that that um, most of the of the <clears throat> most of the money that goes into healthcare today, 
uh, is used by people in my generation, uh, mostly in the last two years of your life. Okay, so that already should speak to the population that are making the rules and regulations, because the people that you will be looking after as a young nurse today will generally be elderly, will generally come from a generation who lived through that structure and is knowledgeable about that structure and who may be suffering from some cognitive disability. Okay, Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. the easy thing to do is to identify by visualization going back years ago this is what a nurse used to look at now i'm not saying we have to go back to you know a cat no that's not what i'm saying but but something a little bit more structured a little bit more organized would help that population to feel more secure in the healthcare setting that's this brings us to nonverbal communication absolutely with the patient it is a perfect example like it's not even something like with a face or a gesture it is like something that's like even like you're not even conscious of the fact that you're doing it just by wearing a certain color and the patient being able to associate you with your with your task and how you can help them that's a nonverbal communication and we've taught, we're taught that a lot in school too absolutely absolutely yeah that's interesting interesting <laughs> something that i think a lot of places should consider um so I'm going to ask you one more question in regards sure. to your experience in nursing and like the transition, because the the generations that you were nursing in and then you went into teaching, that's actually for people that, that don't know this, Maureen was one of my teachers when I went to nursing school. Um, so you saw a lot of differences in technology. Um, how was that addressed? Was it welcomed? Was there like a kind of skepticism about using that kind of technology and the access to it? How like was there a formal training? How did you see that in your career? I, I would have to say one word and that would be welcome. Welcome. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, training was always provided for new technology. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But certainly uh, during my career, for instance, it's something that I mentioned earlier on in the interview about, uh, you know, not having CT scans, not having ultrasounds, not having, you know, access to certain diagnostic tools when I was a mm-hmm. nurse, meant that many more, many more patients had to go to surgery purely for diagnostic reasons, you know. Wow. And I remember, I mean, many, many, many laparotomies being done that would never be done today. Uh, because, you know, they'd have the results from, from uh, an ultrasound or women having uh, mastectomies done uh, for breast cancer because the only way they knew how to do a biopsy was in the operating room. So you'd leave the room, leave the, 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 your room in your hospital with a breast, not knowing whether you were going to come back with one or not because it would very much depend on whether the biopsy was negative in the operating room. And the way it used to be done was they would go in, take a part of the growth, whatever it was, everybody would stand back sterile and we'll wait and the poor PAB would run down to the lab with, uh, with the, the, the specimen. They would do a frozen section in the lab immediately, call up to the operating room and say, it's negative or it's positive. If it was positive, they'd go back and take off the breast. And so you were there with the husband or significant other in the room waiting to hear what the result was. And women would come back 
first thing they do in the recovery room would be looking for their breast, you know. Oh, so, so, so now, you know, you, you go to a doctor's office and you get a biopsy and you know right away. And, and there are different approaches to that kind of surgery that, that allow you to maintain some breast integrity. Uh, you know, it, it, by far, we have a long way to go to cure, but, but things have improved so dramatically that... and through technology, through diagnostic technology, through treatment technology as well. Um, you know, treating superbugs, treating cardiac disease. Uh, my, you know, I think back to my poor father who had valvular disease for years, couldn't, couldn't have surgery because it wasn't available. And today they're replacing valves and doing open heart surgery and patients are doing well, you know, so technology definitely made a huge impact. And this isn't, I mean, like, we're not talking about like hundreds of years. I mean, like, we're talking about like, like a generation's worth of, of change. And there's been yes. so much change and there still absolutely. is so much change. More to come, more to come, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So, All right. And so that, I guess, kind of leads me to my final question, which is scope of practice. Ah, ah. You know, scope of practice uh, can become a challenge when you're in the workplace. Um, and I think it's so important that we remember that as a profession, as a nursing profession, we have a list of standards that we have to follow. Uh, somebody who's in a different uh, level of nursing has also a list of standards to follow. Um, and I think that the challenge today, because we are so short-staffed everywhere that sometimes if you see something being done x number of times and you know you can do it but you're not covered legally to do it the temptation is often there because you're thinking of oh my god the patient the patient the patient you know but again we must remember that it there is legal parameters in place to protect the patient, you know, to protect the patient and, and to protect us as well. God forbid yeah. if we ever did something that caused uh, damage or illness or, you know, in worst case scenario, death to a patient because we went outside of our scope of practice, you know. Yeah. Uh, when I was a young nurse, we weren't even allowed, we weren't allowed to start IVs, we weren't allowed to do cardiograms, we weren't allowed to take bloods, uh, you know, the, the RN. Who would, who would do it? Well, the intern would have to do it. The intern. The intern. You'd have to call the intern. And All right. Sorry to the doctors that are listening and watching right now, but hang on a second, Maureen. The interns would have to do it. They would be in the OR or they would be busy covering 20 floors. God love them. And we'd have to wait and the patient would have to wait and become dehydrated or miss medication because oh, wow. they would have to come and start the IV. And some of these poor things, you know, God love them. They, they were... They're, they were just graduated from med school. They didn't have much experience, you know, putting IVs in. And, and you do damn well that, you know, this is the main going. But, you know, yeah. puncture and puncture and puncture. And, uh, it, was, it, was, it was difficult, you know. So, so things have changed, you know, for the, much for the better. Much for the sure, better. of course, of course. But again, and we have to stay within that scope of practice. Because if you go yeah. out of there, that's where you get into trouble. Okay. And so what would you say that like, was there a certain time or maybe a certain decade or a certain like group of years that like you really saw things take a complete change? Like I would say, I would say once we got into the late seventies, early eighties, things began okay. to turn around, you know, and, um, and I think also working conditions for students, for nurses became better. Uh, students went out into the community college setting, into the CGEPs, 
um, the focus was not so much on clinical practice as it was on knowledge. Uh, and that was a big shift, you know, when I was a young nurse uh, student, uh, by my third year, we basically knew how to do everything. We didn't know why we were doing half the stuff we were doing, but we knew how to do it. And I think that the difference is that today, that the students today are much more knowledgeable about the reasons behind some of the things they do. And the clinical practice will come when they're exposed to more, you know, more time as, as, as interns. And, and that's, yeah. that's, that's the difference. So I know I've probably said like already three times, this is my last question, but this is my last question. I'm kind of putting you on the spot here um, because you have been such an inspiration to me, as I've said many times already, but um, we're going to leave off the podcast with um, a note from you or a message from you to the current nurses and, and to nurses or future nurses, people that are considering going into nurses. What would you like to say to the audience? I would like to say that the proudest thing I've ever done in my life is to become a nurse. The proudest thing that I ever am is a nurse. And I would encourage the young nurses today to uh, stick with it. Things will get better. Uh, we need you. Society needs you. Your community needs you. And uh, you will probably never, never find another calling as fulfilling as nursing. Hey guys, it's me again. So I wanna thank Maureen, not just for being a guest and sharing her story with us, but for being a guiding light in my own nursing career. Thanks very much to you for tuning in. And if you'd like to pick up with Han and Hart, I've added the link in the description, or you can reach me at worldnursecollective at gmail.com. And I'll share your request with Maureen personally. Until next episode, stay happy, healthy, and inspired.